So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome into another episode of So Rare in the States. My name is Chris. I'm a Lost Card Guy. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Nashi. How are you today, Nashi? I'm doing well. It's been a uh, been an up-and-down week, but we'll get into that later. But uh, as of now, we're doing well. Yeah, um, sound, sounds like it was mostly down for you, Nashi. But yeah, like we said, <laughs> we'll get into that later. Hopefully, you don't cry too much, but we'll try to console you and, and give you some tissues, maybe. Um, but yeah, we're joined this week by uh, an extra special guest. We have our good friend Hayden on the show today. How are you today, Hayden? Doing well. Another three points for FC Frisco. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. So Hayden is a big Dallas fan. We're going to get into the uh, very, very deep Dallas conversation. So not just the Alan Velasco and Paul Ariola conversation, but we're going to get some some kind of, you know, under the radar type names that maybe you haven't heard of before. Um, we're going to talk about Nashi's, you know... <laughs> tough week i would say um and kind of go through that as well we've got a few injuries hamid going out we've got miles robinson going out and then uh seattle uh, obviously winning the ccl we'll have to get to that as well um but just to start off here um obviously uh, we had a game this week so i really didn't get to see too much did you guys get to catch a lot of action yesterday how did how did everything go yeah mate um i i watched a few games i started out kind of double fist in the charlotte and montreal game um Charlotte into Miami and Montreal, Orlando, they were kind of going on at the same time. So I was going back and forth then. Um, the Charlotte game, it was a it was a pretty interesting game. And I don't know whether Tripping B or someone like that called into the HQ at Charlotte and they tuned into the podcast because it seemed like they had a little formation change and solved a few of the problems going forward that we kind of touched on last week. They, they seem to be playing with more whip um, up front. Uh, almost like a 4-3-3 versus like the more narrow system they were going with prior to that. And it actually seemed to be working in spells. They had some more joy. It was a pretty close game. Um, Shin Yashiki, debut goal, so that was nice. And Charlotte getting another win at home, which is, um, yeah, good promising signs for them. Um, did you catch that game, Hayden? Or No, I did not. I know you saw the Montreal game, didn't you? Uh, and I think mm -hmm. we had the thoughts about that one. What were your, uh, what were your takeaways there? Well, you know, I like I follow Poppy. He's my guy from Dallas. He's a good coach. But they just didn't I don't through the middle they were weak. The the back line didn't look quite comfortable. I don't who's this guy? Thomas Williams that was starting in the back. They just really never got going. Montreal were comfortable. Yeah, what can you say? They missed um they missed someone who like I said last week impressed me when I saw him, Janssen at the back. Um mm -hmm. the big Viking looking guy and yeah, like they I was very, very disappointed in Orlando. I mean, you know, like you, you see it in the MLS, teams get blown out, but they just kind of, I mean, if I'm looking at the stats here, they had two shots all game, one on target. Montreal had 20 shots with 10 on target. So, I mean, that tells you pretty much everything you need to know. Ended up 4-1. Um, Mihailovic looked brilliant again. Um, just Montreal looked really balanced in that sort of wing-back, formation they play they've got like very technical players uh, Torres and Mihailovic that 
that mm-hmm. don't lose possession easily. They got a nice balance in the the kind of two pivots there. They just kind of yeah, we talked about them before. They're just kind of ticking along, kind of a little bit under the radar, but just performing really solidly. Um, well, I think even on, sorry, on... sorry, Nashi, even with uh, with Montreal, it's not even under the radar anymore. Like they started so okay. poorly when they were in the CCL, and then they got out of you know they made the run in CCL. Obviously, they were focused on that. Put up a really good fight in a quarterfinal. And then they come, you know, they get out of that, they start to focus on MLS, and they have been absolutely on fire every single week. It seems like they're getting their three points, they're rocketing up the East Coast standings, and, I mean, a 4-1 win over Orlando is pretty impressive, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Orlando, you know, you could you could question the effort a little bit, and you can question, you know, Jansen not being there, but they still have talent, especially going forward. And, I mean, I watched their game with Atlanta last week, Montreal, and they just Atlanta was just completely out of sorts. It just it didn't seem like it was clicking at all. So um, I don't know if you if you want to you know kind of give more credit to Montreal or, or or put the blame on Orlando. What what did you kind of see from that Nashi? Who whose fault was it or, or who did well? Uh, well, I mean you can kind of only beat what's in front of you. So Montreal, I mean they started sharp. I think they scored in the first twenty thirty minutes, um, and they kind of were just they were just dominant the whole game. And I don't know whether if I'm Orlando, I'm starting Pato as the sort of lone striker away from home. It just doesn't seem like he's suited for that system like at all, if you know what I mean. He hasn't quite got the physicality that I would have stuck I would have started with Kara. Just because you're away from home against a competent good team, you're gonna be up against it for some part of the game. And just like they kind of just he Pato isn't the player he's going to give you the out anymore. You know, he's not right. He's not really physical enough. He's not that guy. I think that was a bit of a, a misstep um, on their part. And yeah, they just didn't get going. I don't know. It, it's it's kind of a theme that I'm noticing in the MLS. Like you think you've, and we'll get into Dallas too. Like some that you watch them some days, some of these teams, and they look like world beaters. And then a week later, they look like they've never played together in their life. You know, it's kind of a, it's a very up and down um, sort of week to week league in some senses like it, this team looks almost unrecognizable than um you know the team over the past couple of weeks where they put some good performances together so so yeah maybe the maybe having pato starting as a lone striker instead of carl was a mistake i think they missed jansen but i expected more from Pereira and torres to only have one shot on target the whole game's pretty pretty damning really but but yeah i, it was I think a- i think you were right about that that uh entirely new face of the team as we we saw Rajo in the middle, Mendez. I haven't really seen these guys play for these for Orlando before, and I don't think Pato really got a chance. Um, one of the things I heard the Orlando commentators say, even when they were getting Car ready, is they weren't sure that they were even set up to feed this guy, and it and it went just like that. He really had no impact when he got on. So is yeah, that something not- that? Is that something that kind of concerns you moving forward with Pato? Or is that just kind of a one-game blip I, like they were just resting people? Pato's look sharp. And if, if they can get, you know, the team out there, I think part of that is just they kind of are going to go out on the road with a pragmatic idea of the way this league is set up. And yeah. just Alistair Johnson on one side and Kamal Miller on the other really bossed it. Yeah, I think, um, I guess more the point is not necessarily to the Pato doesn't have a place it's a bit like we were talking about with Higuain in Miami it's that mm-hmm. in home games where maybe they're dominating the ball like his attributes are going to be more effective and I'm a, I'm a West Ham fan and a David Moyes 
sort of rubbed off where like you when you're not got going to be dominating the ball having that focal point who can like you say when you can't get out when you can't play through the lines you just need a big body we have Mikel Antonio at um, West Ham who mm-hmm. doesn't score a lot of goals necessarily um, recently but he's just so important when you're sort of under the cosh when you're not dominating the ball and it felt a bit like that it just really doesn't suit Pato's game you know clearing balls up to him and expecting him to hold him up you know it's not not his whereas Kara's a bit of a bigger body I guess and maybe just something to think about like I said I'm not a not a coach but it just seemed like like you said they just couldn't bring the ball into the final third and keep it up there and yeah. sort of create anything really yeah so yeah from that sense I agree with you as well but um yeah I mean if I was Orlando maybe I'd be looking at maybe Kara to start away if you're going to rotate and Pato might be more suited at home where they're going to be a bit more dominant um in the final third but yeah that was my takeaway basically long Long story short, Orlando was disappointing, but and Montreal kind of did what they needed to do. So fair play to them. Yeah, um, Montreal. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Montreal's been kind of rocketing up the standings there, and I know you talked about Iguain and and how Miami is doing, and really since we had Alex on the show a couple of weeks ago, Miami is is kind of fall back into that. You know, they haven't they've lost both of their games now. It doesn't seem like they have any momentum again. It doesn't seem like the team's playing together anymore. And I wanted to know if you if you have any thoughts more so on the Miami side of things. Um, I mean, I know, I, I believe most of their players started. I, I haven't actually seen the highlights yet, but um, I believe they had their full complement and they, they go to Charlotte and you said it was a, a rather close game, like a kind of a cagey game, um, but Charlotte was kind of a little bit more impressive in attack. How does that look from the Miami standpoint, Nashi? Um, well, a guy who did start was Bryce Duke. Um, I don't mm. know if you saw that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was good to get a, get a look at him obviously he um he was on set pieces a young player probably got a decent future in the league he, he looks sharp but yeah i mean yeah it, it's just i just don't think they miami honestly have the quality of player throughout the team to to sort of go away from home and you know be effective campana he, again he's effective away from home but if they they started with Robinson, Duke, and a guy of Vasilev, who I, I actually don't ne- never really seen before. They didn't start Lassiter. Um Yeah, they just weren't really. I just didn't. There's no one there who you're thinking he's going to change the game. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, Campania does what he does. Robinson effective, works hard, shows glimpses. Uh, Gregory and Motta in the midfield are solid, but they just you know in a tight game where you feel like all right, you need someone to sort of have a moment. Even against Charlotte, who aren't like the most stacked team, they've got a Swiderski. Um, they brought Shin Yashiki on, who, who managed to impact the game. Mm-hmm. It just seemed a bit more like Miami would just sort of didn't have that catalyst to, to kick on. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what, what the rest of the season looks like for Miami. Maybe it is, like she was saying, a rebuild kind of phase, and they try and pick out positives, give a few of these young guys some minutes, some glimpses. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think it's a transitional time. They're trying to find their identity, and and yeah, just in in that they're just not putting the consistency together. Um, do you have any do you have any thoughts on Miami as a whole, Hayden? Have you watched much of them? Um, I've seen them a little bit. It's hard to say where they're gonna fit in that East conversation. Um, Vasilev is an interesting one. I know he came on loan from Aston Villa. I haven't really seen much of him. Yeah, yeah, me neither. That, I think that was the first time I'd seen him. I don't know, maybe he had a injury or something at the start of the season. I know Lasseter had been starting prior to that, but 
But yeah, I mean, there'll be one to watch Miami. I think in maybe like building towards next year with the whole David Beckham, they got the Mm. I think new stadium and stuff like that. That um, yeah, yeah, they could be interesting to keep an eye on in the future. But for now, I just don't expect much from them. And you also got to keep in mind that they have the the restrictions, like the the penalties that they got hit with for signing Matuidi and having the fourth DP. So they are, you know, they're not on the same playing field that everybody else is on. They're they literally have less resources available, and so that's going to really hinder the rebuild and make it much di- much more difficult to do. Not to say that it can't be done, but just it may take a little bit of time, and it may take some um, some patience on the part of the Miami fans. Um, now, Hayden, I know that you had watched a couple of games as well this week. Um, you said that you watched the, the Colorado and San Jose game. Colorado was just kind of a little lacking and, and, and just kind of missing something. And we've been kind of talking about that all season. So what did you see from them last night? Well, I really caught the second half. And by the time I was watching, they had just been pinned so deep by San Jose that it looked like they wanted to get the three points. And it was, it was a bit of these stories we been talking about from Orlando from Chicago a bit they just they had no outlet they you saw Zardes trying to pick the ball 80 yards away from goal and just couldn't really gather it together I think you saw a lot of these Jonathan Lewis played well but they just they couldn't really get on the ball to relieve any pressure interesting interesting. go ahead I was gonna say San Jose are a team that are kind of they're when you look at them on paper now, they actually have some interesting attacking pieces with Montero, Espinosa, Eberbise. They got Cape Cal. Gregus is having a decent season. They're starting to, you know, like they're they're actually a dangerous team on their day. When whereas to the start of the season, I was sort of thinking San Jose. I, I kind of personally wrote them off a bit as a bit of a um, non-factor in the in the league. Um, what do you think about San Jose, Chris? Obviously. They're they're very up and down in form, but like, do you think Montero can sort of make a difference there, coming in and sort of betting in there? Yeah, I mean, obviously Montero, a huge piece coming over from Philadelphia, and <clears throat> you mentioned some of the other pieces that they have, and and the names are all great. The talent there is pretty good. The question has always been: they've always played this weird man marking system that doesn't really. I mean, it's just a whole different game. Like you're you're constantly giving up goals, you're constantly scoring goals. And it's difficult to transition then into more of a normal, you know, marking system where, you know, you're not trying to concede a goal every five minutes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think it'll take some time. And I think we've seen even with Cincinnati, when you go from being completely open at the back and you have players that are just not in the right positions, which is what San Jose, you know, and and they were coached that way. It's not their fault. Um, But they were just not in the right positions to effectively play defense. And now you bring a new coaching staff in, and I think we saw early in the season Cincinnati struggling a lot with that, and there were still open spaces everywhere. But you get a really good coach in there from Philadelphia into Cincinnati, and all of a sudden now Cincinnati looks like world beaters. They've won four in a row, I think, and and they're on a tear. Um, So I think the same thing, I mean, San Jose's talent is better than Cincinnati's top to bottom. It's just a question of does the interim coach really have the skill in order to get these guys to where they need to be in time to really challenge for the playoffs. If they if they go on a run and make the playoffs, they'll be dangerous. Like nobody will want to play them, but it's just a race against time for this season. And that's why it's kind of it's kind of odd 
that they kept Matias Almeida to start the season because everybody kind of knew this was going to happen. Um, so yeah, this is maybe a maybe a bad call on management from San Jose's perspective, but there's a, there's definitely a chance that they could be pretty you know pretty decent uh, this season with the amount of talent that they have. And I know Hayden had mentioned Chicago there, and, and obviously that's your team, Nashi, and obviously kind of got a little bit got a little bit torn open there with no Chicos and you know a couple of red card suspensions. Um, Atlanta finally got going. You you watched the game, I'm assuming. Yeah, I did, mate. Um, yeah, it was a. I mean, for for Chicago away from home, the worst thing that you can do the way that they set up is concede an early goal. And I think it was about 90 seconds into the game, and they're one 0 down. It was a nice through ball by um, Araujo, actually. So fair play. Um, hopefully, he finds some form on the Atlanta side. But yeah, once a team, once Chicago one 0 down, the way that they want it. They want to come away from home, set up defensively and try and nick a goal, nick a 1-0, take a draw. You know, that's kind of been their their MO all season, even at home to some degree. And um, I, I respect it in a sense that they are missing a lot of players. They're, they're basically were missing five of what I'd say would be their starting lineup if they have everyone, av- everyone available um, yesterday. Um, so it's on paper, it does look a demolishing, but... As, as a fan kind of thing, they're missing pretty much the spine of their team. Gaston Jimenez was out. Chichos was out. Casper was out. They've got Jairo Torres coming in. And Mueller did come on at halftime. I expect him to be, once he gets up and running and fitness, him to be a starter too. So there's five or six key players there that, that they're starting the game without. That being said, yeah, it, it just, I mean, they, to be fair, they got back in the game. They went took the early goal and, and they got back in and uh, Chino all four, um, off of a Shakiri cross, nicked in and kind of scored. And it, on on that goal, I'd say it was pretty poor defensively from Atlanta. They cleared the corner and then just left Shakiri wide open um, as they were coming out, and he just received it and played nice cross in the middle, and they tucked it away. So, but after that, Atlanta kind of took over the game. They just had too much going forward. Obviously, I'm skimming over a big talking point of Miles Robinson picking up a what looked like a probably a season engine um achilles injury there and i guess there's a bigger talking point on like it's that that field that's it just happened to guzan the other week yeah i mean what what do you do if you're atlanta there do you have to start looking at the infrastructure of the field because it has to play a part right i mean um that that turf i played on it before and your studs your cleats can get caught in it and it seems like a lot of people are going down and yeah what what do you yeah. what do you kind of think about that well, we'll definitely. I, I think we'll definitely get back into that because we we have to go over Gel um, Paulo as well because that same thing happened to him as well. But um, yeah, we can we can get back into that. I know Hayden had one more game that he had seen was LAFC against Philadelphia, the night game, and really kind of a weird scheduling part here by MLS because they put the top two teams from the two conferences, or maybe first and second, something like that. And they put them at 11 o'clock at night when no one was going to watch it. Um, but you obviously did did catch a little bit of it. So give us your impression of kind of this big heavyweight fight that nobody saw. Yeah, it was just it was just back and forth. It was I think you heard mention of the last time these two teams played. And I think it three different leads for for Philadelphia ended in three three. And it was it was like that. It was back and forth heavyweight battle. LAFC, they enjoyed their time. But Philadelphia, they're. They're very, what's the word? They, they're efficient, you know, mm-hmm. not quite as much of the ball, but God's dog comes in. Carranza looked good. They know what they're doing. I think Glessness is, is one yeah. that really stood out. 
And of course, you've got Andre Blake doing his thing. I yeah. I want to shout out just anyone who saw sort of late in the game. I guess it was maybe 90th minute, and we saw Big Mamadou fall go for a full bike, and mm. he really got up there and connected with the ball. He looks a good. He looks a great player, doesn't he? That fall. Um, I think he's only like 19 years old. He looks like an absolute yeah. monster. Uh, when you see him, he sounds like he's been doing his yoga too. So fair play to the big man. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I would echo from, um, I didn't watch the game yesterday, but Philadelphia, I think you've nailed on the head, like from a sort of footballing perspective, they look like a team and almost like an organization that's just kind of knows what they're doing. You know, they're like, they're, they're not, they're, they're not naive. They seem like experienced. They know their game plan. They know which moments to sort of, playing games when they need to be a bit more pragmatic within the game. They just look like a good, solid, well-balanced team. And like you said, it does start from Andre Blake, who, from what I've seen so far, is the best best goalkeeper in the MLS for me. So, so yeah, I'd echo that. And then on the other side, uh, LAFC have a lot of talent and they're dangerous. And Apoku, Arango, Vea, um, they're going to score goals. And they've got some good, good, good young players in the team. Um, so, yeah, yeah that, that's an interesting matchup there. Um, do you have any thoughts on them two teams, Chris, overall? Yeah, I mean, potentially, you know, a preview of the MLS Cup. Like, you could easily see both of those two teams make it a deep run in the playoffs, specifically Philadelphia, I think, because, I mean, like you said, they're such a well-rounded organization. They know what they do. And the the really impressive part, I think, from Philadelphia is that they don't spend a lot of money. They don't go out and buy, you know, they're not Atlantic going out and spending $15 million on Tiago uh, Almeida. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild that, you know, Carranza is probably the most expensive player they have and they have him on loan for Miami. Um, I think they spent a little bit on Ure, but most of the other players that they got, they either brought them through the Academy, which they have three young guys that are all coming off the bench right now that are all studs, um, that can't even get on the field because they have so many quality players and so many guys that know their role and do their job so well, like Jose Martinez, is so fantastic as a destroyer. Like, he might be the best destroyer in the league, and no one really talks about him, but he makes such a big difference to that team. Um, so, yeah, Philadelphia is definitely one that's very, very, very impressive to me. Um, so, yeah, that's that's all that I really have about that one. Um, we, I think I want to I give some credit to Chirondolo, and yeah, I think they've good call. kind of the way he's come in seamlessly made them look pretty good, and it kind of makes me think of, of uh, back to Montreal, just the way that they they've got pieces in a lot of positions. They're switching in and out, and you can't really tell the difference. Or some of these other teams, you switch a few guys, and it's trouble. And that's coaching, right? That's same thing with Montreal. They don't spend a lot of money. They didn't pay hardly anything to get Georgi Mihailovic from Chicago. Like they don't they don't go out and spend on star players. And that's down to just good, solid coaching to have an entire team of guys that can be plugged into the game and you don't miss a beat. Um, so I think really Philly and, and Montreal, definitely phenomenal coaching staffs out, out there. Um, let's go back actually to what we were talking about a little bit earlier with the Miles Robinson injury. And you'd mentioned the same thing happened to Brad Guzan. Um, I was thinking about Joe Paolo in the middle of the week there. And some of these big NFL stadiums that they play on turf um, and is there, I mean, obviously our, our good friend Thomas, the MLS scout, was really, I mean, you could you could see the frustration in his tweet with, you know, another injury, another serious injury. They've had somebody, you know, be out for the season like three or four straight years now, and this year they've got two already and weren't 
25% of the way done with the season. Um, so, I mean, is that something that from an MLS owner's perspective, you just have to figure out a way to get them, get grass into the stadiums? Um, is, is that the only real way to do this? Like you just force them to play on grass? What, what do you think about this, uh, Hayden? You know, I'm, I'm not too sure. I actually, I, I was listening to, to my guy Buzz in Frisco the other day, and he was kind of telling the story of, you know, we've got all these kids coming through, and now they're, a lot of them are, are used to playing on the turf. And really, you would think that the technology of the turf could get up to a level, but it's hard to say. There's definitely a, an imbalance of sorts in some of these pitches at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's one of them where you can't, when you're using it for multi-sports, it's, it's hard for it to be optimal for the two different two different sports if that makes sense so yeah i mean just going by a personal experience i'm way more comfortable when i was playing playing on grass than playing on turf it just didn't feel as natural when you're turning you know and obviously in football in soccer you are making them movements so so often um but yeah you're just asking for trouble kind of and and these are non-contact injuries yeah. you know these aren't these aren't like the the like sometimes you you can play in like in grass still and you still get your studs or your uh, cleats stuck in the stuck in the mud and then someone could hit you and you're kind of there and you can break your leg break but i feel like these are injuries that are happening this sort of the same blueprint where they're just innocuously it's like almost like a they, they're trying to turn like they would on grass where there'll be some give and it's just not quite happening they're just pinging something in their knee or their achilles and it's yeah see it's, it's if i'm if i'm an owner of a team like what's the cost of having an injury to someone like Miles Robinson, to someone like uh, Jao Paolo, Brad Guzan, over the course of the season, if you can pre prevent that risk by some percentage, you've got to start thinking about other options, um, I, I would think so. But yeah, it's just a sad thing because you, you want to see these top players play. And you know, now Robinson's got to be thinking about the World Cup potentially. It's, no one wants to yeah. see it. It's the, it's the worst part as a fan, as a player, you know, injuries impacting impacting the game, impacting the sport. So it's kind of a sad week for the MLS. Sad week for some managers, um, ahem, who might have got, might <laughs> got hurt by injuries. But um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely something. It's definitely a conversation needs to be going. And like you said, I did see some people were pretty um, vocal on Twitter and other media platforms about it. It seems like the conversations there to be had at the minute um, well that nasha you you kind of referenced yourself uh having a rough week and we've kind of teased at it throughout the show do you want to let the people know you know what what the context is here and, and what's been going on yeah well a little while back a friend of the show bob, or should i say ex-friend of the show bob bob flynn um orange flyer had messaged me about trading for my martinez he was looking for him to pick up for the summertime and we've kind of gone back and forth and then I was sort of looking over my squad uh, last week and I was thinking I could start building a pretty decent sort of all-star team that might grab a few rewards. And um, I was looking at Jao Paolo and Miles Robinson as like a deep... I was actually looking at Jao Paolo. I saw Bob had one. And then I was looking for another player to sort of match it up. And I thought, I'm losing the defender. Miles Robinson, he's not in the best form, like you said, but he's he's got... a pretty good ceiling and we worked out a deal so i traded my martinez a little bit of eth to square it up for robinson and jao paolo this was on wednesday morning my time yeah so i was excited to watch him play and then obviously he went down non-contact and i feared for the worst and there was a somewhat happy ending to it because 
I was in a um, in a chat with a few of the few of the so rare guys, and uh, right when it happened, I listed him about point thirty uh, percent under what I kind of paid for him. And our good friend Bologna, the so rare bot, um, picked him up. Saw himself a bargain there, so he picked him up. So I kind of I got one over on um, on the bad guy there. So that was one for the good guys. I wasn't feeling too bad. I was. It was unfortunate, but I was okay. We're going into the weekend. Still had Miles Robinson. Still had um, a lot going for us. And then obviously, as you know, <laughs> about 20 minutes into the game, same kind of thing. Robinson goes down. I managed to trade for two people. And then within three days, they both had a season-ending injury. So pretty impressive. A definite candidate for a worst so rare trade of all time. And uh I don't know if you guys have had anything close to that. Um, t- uh, Hayden, have you ever had a trade that, that uh, gets close to, to that one there? Yeah, I was kind of brought up that I had traded for Cecilio about six hours before he got suspended indefinitely. And, <laughs> of course, I couldn't resist to sell at the absolute bottom. Yeah, I mean, it's like the initial frustration, like the tilt, your, your head spinning, you know what I mean? You're just trying to... Yeah kind of offload him but um yeah at least you at least we can share in that pain someone who's experienced yourself chris you probably haven't um you probably haven't had to had to deal with that sort of oh no i don't i don't ever make bad trades i'm I'm pretty good at this stuff um no uh i had a uh some guy had, had contacted me and said hey there's this there's a striker and he's playing some i think he's in belgium He's playing for this team, and they just like changed the coach or something, and the the tactics have changed, and now the striker is gonna start going nuts. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I I need a striker. Like, he's offering a trade, so I'm fine with it. Like, I'll take it. It's it's for one of these like backup MLS guys that's never gonna play. So I'm like, okay, whatever. We'll give it a shot. See if it happens. So I traded for him, and he played like two weeks. You know, had the the normal like 35 and no all-around score no goals just just you know a guy just basically not even not even good enough to be an eth grinder basically um so and and his price ticked up maybe like five percent or something so i think i i had traded a guy worth like 0.025 for him and then i end up trading i end up selling him for like 0.03 so i was like okay well at least i got my money back out like at least i'm happy that guy's name was Dino Hotich, who some people may know. He's worth like 0.5 now because he's been just wow. literally the since the day I traded him, he has been on a tear in like November. He has had an absolute whale of a season. Um, so yeah, I, I, I missed that one. Who, who, who gave you the tip? I don't. I, I don't even one. remember. It was probably the guy who <laughs> sold me the card. We could probably go back and, and find it, but. Yeah, he was he was trying to trying to buy. I think it was like Will Bruin or something, like some some backup striker that was never gonna play. Um, Sounds like you both you both lost out in that. Um, like, yeah, yeah, that's a sad story for everyone, I think. But yeah, I I think the the moral of the story that I learned from Nashi is if Nashi picks up a card and you own that card, you need to sell immediately. Don't wait for the next game because that guy will be hurt. Um, yeah, honestly, not a bad not a bad idea. Yeah, right, just fade, fade Nashi, fade Nashi. Um, um, let's go to back to the last game that we've got to talk about. The elephant in the room for Hayden, aka Backman. If people don't see him on Twitter or Discord, big Dallas fan, big, big. You live in Dallas, right, Hayden? Yeah, just outside of Fort Worth. Right, he's a local. 
How did you see the game this week? Obviously, it was against the weakened Sounders team. But what was your takeaway yeah. this week? And sort of, let's get into Dallas in general because it's, it's kind of we've, we've been waiting for it. We want to hear your thoughts on some of the uh, some of the lesser known players, the players we've kind of skipped over maybe in the past. Uh, we want to do a deep dive right now. So yeah, the floor is yours, mate. Tell us, tell us what you thought of the game and and go on from there. Yeah, last night it was it was mostly business as usual, as you said. A lot of rotation for Seattle after that final. Um, but Nico's really coming. He's he's attic. You know, I would say big guys upstairs probably told him to sort out the defense. And you know, we've been seeing that. You you see Poss making these saves, but really he's not facing too much pressure. It's very reminiscent of the other of the other home games. We've been getting three points on the road, but you see Houston, you see Colorado. Even the Portland game, the first half, almost nothing. Well, I guess Portland would have been the Jesus hat trick in the first half. But we started slow. We built we built from the back. I think there was one chance. It would have been Leo Chu where we had a slip on the pitch. And Leo Chu had one-on-one and could not capitalize. But other than that, we took it easy. We controlled the ball. I think the big one from last night that I noticed was Pomacall, who really got comfortable. I don't know if, if either of you watched. It was the second start for rookie Siki and Sabalang. And he he started to look a lot more comfortable. I know he got pulled off at halftime in, in the last match. He's in there filling for Brandon Cervania after that seven-minute red card, double yellow from last week. Okay, I've got a but, question for you there on um, Cervania. I know we've spoke privately, and you're... You know, there's a lot of light being shined on Velasco and Ferreira, but you're pretty, pretty hot on Savania, right? Um, how, where do you rank him almost amongst those guys in sort of his importance to the team and his potential in general? Uh, you know, I, I, I put it right up there at the top. He's gonna, we probably can't afford to sit him out after that lack of discipline. Um, really, one of the guys he reminds me of is is Weston, and just he's got this physical physicality to him. He'll go. Put his body on someone and take him, take him on. Um, in the in the technique, he, he he doesn't really. If you look, go look at his stats. He's not racking up the key passes necessarily, but he loves a shot. He keeps it low. He's he keeps the ball moving. Um, what was I gonna say? So you're yeah, I, I think you're referring I, what to. What I was uh, gonna say go is just this the system we're running is it's gonna be tough a bit on the SO5. Just our our center mids are just really sacrificing a lot so i was so excited about paxton you know getting back in the middle and you know he was he was really good but it probably is going to take a night like this where the team is the opposition is really kind of pinned back for paxton to really shine yeah you think he's he's kind of suffering so that the velasco's the ferreras i mean generally so they can sort of express themselves a bit more but yeah, from a Soria standpoint, which we obviously all care about, that's um, maybe what's limiting um, Pomacal at the minute is that you know because you see him sometimes and he just looks effective, he looks dynamic, and like you say, it's not quite. I think we spoke about it before. He doesn't quite translate into the matrix, and that's interesting to hear that. Yeah, he he may be from a fan's perspective, he's sacrificing a bit too much for the not too much, but that's I, he's he's putting I, him the guy. I think. A lot of it, I think, in a way, part of it is just he's really, this is his first 
he's coming back from he had a major surgery the year before and I think we could see him grow into the team a little bit more as the season goes on and really everything that Nico does you can tell he is a an eye on you know this is the league there's there's playoffs you know we gotta take it one week at a time don't get too too worried about the short term um and you brought up Cervania and I think the thing we were saying about the sacrifices, the the physical profile of Cervania really allows him to to get dirty and not really have a problem. It's more of his game. Really, he's just adding that part where he arrives in the box. So I want to yeah. just kind of dig a little deeper on on Cervania because you compared him. You said you said to Weston, and I assume you're referring to FC Dallas Academy yes. graduate Weston McKenney, who is with the U.S. Absolutely. national team. And one of the top players in the pool. Do you think Cervania has that level potential, or is that just who he kind of reminds you of? Like, is that? Do you think he can he, really be an elite, world class player? You know, I, I don't. I don't really like to to put a, a ceiling on these kids because mm-hmm. you know they really come out with a lot of football smarts, a lot of technical ability. Um, I, I think I was more talking about the profile and just the way he throws his weight around out there and how. Right. Really, the thing with Wesson is just the sort of seamless nature between the way they attack and defend. Yeah. I think Wesson, you know, we're maybe more familiar with him kind of go press in the back line more than you see Cervania, who will drop back and cover the right back. But uh, you know, I think I think he's within a shout of being in the in the national team and all that good stuff. Interesting. How what is it about Dallas that they get these elite young guys? A lot of them have come through there over the years, going back to McKenney, like you said. Like, is that is that from top to bottom? Was that like a strategy, or do they are they just really good at picking? Well, it's, it's a few things. It's a few things. We've always had good staff in there coaching these guys. But you go back to Weston when we didn't we never signed Weston because we. Uh, from an infrastructure, we didn't even really appreciate what we had yet. And we kind of caught caught an idea over time. We saw, got a little check in the mail from the Weston McKinney transfers. Um, but the other thing you have to look at, it's just the geography and the way that these homegrown rules work out. And the range of the talent that we're allowed to pick from is just obscene almost. And we've got all these kids coming through the Dallas Cup, you know, one of the biggest youth tournaments in the in the country. And, you know, we just, we, we commit to that. You see Luchigan's Luchi came through. That was his, he was directing the academy. We gave him a, a, a job in the first team. There's, there's definitely for a long time been a very synchronized experience from the U13s to the first team in the way that we play. Yeah, and as a, as a fan, that's so exciting to have, to be known that you, you can trust your club to bring through top talent any given year and like is I, I always in in football holistically even in europe and the world like there's these teams there's these clubs there's these academies that seem to always find a gem you know and i, I don't really know what the formula is how they do it and it, it, it i don't think it's by mistake because you see you know the same same academies bringing through players even if they're not the best team on the field like i mean like west ham again i'm just going to bring them up as much as i can in this podcast over the years but traditionally we've had although we haven't been great starting 11 great in the league we've always had a good academy and as a fan i love that because not only do you feel a closer connection to these youngsters who've come through there but it's also exciting that you know that you know one player like we've got declan rice now who's come through one player can change 
the whole club if they're good enough. Like, I mean, Ricardo Pepe, the 20 million, that, that could have a ripple effect for years and yep. years. And uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, as a fan, I think that's a great sort of trait to have in your club. Um, yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Chris? Because I know you, you deal with not only the infrastructure of the USL, but you probably see a lot of young players there trying to make it. Um, do you have any input yeah. on that kind of idea? Yeah, I mean, we do. We have seen a lot over the past couple of years. I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of like Atlanta to New York Red Bulls to there's a bunch of teams in our league that are B teams for top MLS teams. And we get to see, you know, I got to see Jackson Conway the other day um, and you get to see him kind of live. And, and obviously, I'm very, very close to the pitch. Like I, I get to really be up close and, and kind of get an idea of how these guys go. But yeah, I mean, I'm struggling to find another academy, maybe Philadelphia, that can boast the kind of players that Dallas has consistently put out. And I think he's he's 100% correct that the geography is a big deal uh, because he's right. The MLS academies have like a specific area that they can recruit from. And Dallas is, is huge because there's other teams in Texas, but they're not in North Texas, not where Dallas is. And, you know, you go north, and I think the next thing Sporting Kansas City going north. Um, there will be St. Louis eventually. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, even if you have the talent there, you can still mess it up. You can look at the LA Galaxy Academy, and they have absolutely screwed the pooch on some really talented young players that have either left and gotten much better after they left the LA Galaxy Academy, or they've got guys in there right now that can't get first team minutes and, and can't properly develop because the, the first team just does not care about playing the kids. Um, that's one thing that we've never been able to accuse Dallas of. They've always played the kids. They've always trusted the kids and it's really worked out for them financially. Um, even if it, you know, it's, it's led to mixed results on the field as you, as you know, with younger players, you can be inconsistent, but um, some years you're, you're just going to be very, very good. Like, like Ajax is very, very good some years with their kids. So um, I do want to, you're talking about the academy and you're talking about kind of the next crop of kids coming through. And I know you're very in depth with the team. Do you know of any guys coming through that even if they don't even have Sora cards yet, just to keep an eye on for the future, kind of the bigger names from the, the Dallas Academy that, that we're going to see maybe in the next you know year, two years, three years? Well, on, on the grounds of playing for in Dallas in the short term, We've just recalled Thomas Roberts from Austria Klagenfurt on loan, and he did not quite make the bench, but I would expect that to be coming. Um, and this is a player we really liked. I think maybe two years ago, he had a bit of a run in the team. Um, the quote from Buzz was that this kid is the best dribbler that's ever gotten graduated from the academy. So we're, he, he kind of came out as a, as a 10 and he's been on that journey to become this modern eight, but that's one I'm going to be excited to see. He has he has a rare card on the platform that's kicking about. It's not too many of them. That's and then yeah, go ahead. No, you you go ahead. No, I was going to say like we've we've like we were talking about um, Justin Che too, and like with more and more people going to Europe, I think that yeah, it's just going to keep perpetuating that philosophy to bring through the young players you know because not only are you now you're now utilizing europe not just for the money but you're actually sent this this young kid or i don't actually know you've sent him over there he's had experience in europe now he's actually coming back and potentially going to help you on the field whereas traditionally 
it was almost like you get them to Europe to get the money and then, do you know what I'm saying? Like now you're using yeah. both sides of it and that's, that's promising, I think, for the MLS and for you guys. But yeah, carry on. Drew, you got a few yeah, other... Uh, definitely. Yeah. Now we're, there's, there's more of a market being established. Before we would, kind of the story with Kellen Acosta, that, you know, he really wanted that move and just the, the right money was never there and, you know, it's still happening with him. Um, but that, that was kind of the first really good players coming out of the academy with you want to look at at Kellen there, there were a few names before that um, but yeah going back to Justin Che this is a guy I like a lot and when you see what he did in Dallas we I kind of think back to this Lucci period as a kind of the the end game of this bureaucratic sort of structure we had in place where it never really quite seemed like the team was set up to win and Justin Che looks like an interesting center back. I saw him get his debut for Hoffenheim. He came off the bench a little bit. But when he had a run in Dallas, we put him out at a right back with the three center backs inside of him. And he just never was too comfortable with that. But even then, you saw him show some class. Yeah, definitely. Is there, um, is it, so who else are you looking for to come through then in the next few years? Is there anyone else on your, uh, on your watch list? That's the thing. Really, we've kind of cleaned house you you saw that you know and i'm not exactly sure about how the years line up but we really just that 2003 group you mentioned peppy a lot of these guys just came and went so fast brian reynolds went for a good fee um what's what's the kid tanner tessman playing in syria with uh venezia probably gonna get relegated so there's not as many of these names that are jumping into the first team but um one of the ones we we brought up earlier antonio carrera playing for north texas this is a very exciting talent um and generally we've got some interesting kids with this uh what are they calling that next is that is that next pro is that the league they're playing in this? mls next yeah which which one is next pro isn't that um uh, maybe there's two mls next i don't know i always thought it was just mls next so. maybe it is sure. next pro I don't, I don't know but yeah, they, they're yeah, was, uh, consolidating all those teams within the next like couple of years because a, a lot of the teams from our league, the USL Championship, are moving over to that to that next next pro thing. Um, so yeah, they're they're gonna have all of the two teams in there within the next like year or two. So what? Um, so to put you on the spot now, it's a obviously a famous um, the Ferguson ordeal, but can you win it this season with the kids? Like as Dallas as a fan. Do you think this yeah. bunch of young talent can win it? And how important is Paul Ariola coming in? Even though he's not super old, he's like a clearly experienced figure in that team, kind of lacking in that. Can they go all the way? They obviously have the talent, but what would you like to see as a fan? What do you if they if you don't quite think it, what piece would you bring in to make them have that last little piece of the puzzle where you think, all right, I really back this side to uh, to go all the way this year. Well, yeah, I think you said it. Paul's been huge, and really just the way that we went and got him. And you heard a lot of people say, oh, you know, you sent a million in, what is it, TAM? Overpriced, right? I think it just kind of showed a commitment to really be more aggressive in the short term. And I th you, you see a good balance to the team. I think you get the right rotation of Hara is so lively off the bench. You know, you can talk about paying him three and a half a million. But he, he comes in and he mixes it up. And if you can get Obreon getting some productive minutes off the bench as well, um, I I think if we're going to talk about 
doing damage in the playoffs, which, you know, I, I think we should be there in, in the mix. But I think back to Thomas Roberts, we need to see some cover in the center. And then I, the other question would have to be would, would be center back. Matt Hedges missed last week with the, with the birth of his, I don't know, his seventh child, something like this. Um, and there really wasn't the next guy ready to go. And I like Nkosi, but we might need some cover there. And then right next to him, you have to say Martin Poss, is, his deal is still set to expire in the middle of summer. So just a, just a little of this and that. But, I mean, the way the league works, I would, I would say so. Let's, let's, let's try to win the cup. Why not? Let's dream big, right? We we can always try, and we can always uh, can always try to get there. And once you get in the playoffs, man, any anything's possible. It's just you get hot in the right month, and and off you go. Um, but yeah, I think really good points there. And and you brought up how Ariola. A lot of people think they overpaid um, in, in you know allocation money. A lot of people don't know the Pepe trade, the way the MLS rules work. A lot of that will have been given back to Dallas as allocation mm-hmm. money. So that is directly they they got Ariola because they sold Pepe, and I'm sure they still have a bit more of that as well that that they can use. So um, yeah, really I, interesting I stuff think, on Dallas there. Go ahead. I just wanted to add real quick. I think you gotta also give credit to this trade, um, this Hollingshead trade, which Hollingshead's looked good, but um, it was really we knew what we wanted, we knew it would fit our system, and Marco Farfan. You have to say he's been one of the best signings of the season in the whole league. Um, and it's easy to kind of forget about these fullbacks playing in so rare all the time. But he's just really taken to the team and made a big difference. He covers a lot of ground. Yeah, that was an interesting one because at the time when they made the trade, we were kind of scratching our heads going, why, why would they do this? Like, this doesn't really make sense. But, yeah, I mean, Farfan has definitely blossomed in, in Dallas and – Kind of been a win-win, you know. Hollingshead's been very, very good in LAFC as well. So kind of both teams have, have gotten better for that. Um, so really awesome um, talk there about Dallas. It's really good to get some some perspective and go a little bit deeper, get some of these younger guys that we have maybe never Next, we're going to go ahead and get into our stat pack presented by Predictology. Last week, John had a couple of predictions. He had two different matches that, that they were going through. And they went one for two, um, but the the one that they missed, uh, a little bit of a pass there. New York City had 74% of the possession, but could not find a way through. So that game in 0-0, but uh, it was dominated in in large part by New York City. Uh, And then obviously they had the Charlotte game was their other selection. They had a 1-0 win over Inter-Miami. Um, and he says, interestingly, the price at kickoff was actually a lot shorter, meaning you get a lot less money back for taking Charlotte. A lot of the money was coming in on Charlotte. Um, so had we gone with Charlotte early on uh, uh, across the two matches, we actually would have come out on top uh, for uh, for betting purposes. This week we have, or I guess next week we should say, we've got a few different things that John wanted to uh, kind of point out here. So we've got New York City again. He says they look like value. Um, anything above 1.67 is solid value for them. They're currently at 1.74. So that means that John thinks that they have a better chance to win than the bookmakers do. And the bookmakers think that they have a pretty decent chance to win anyway. So again, New York City stacks are, are probably a pretty decent uh, shot, pretty decent way to go. And he actually is going to run it back with both of his picks. He says Charlotte again look like value. 
they are playing Montreal, who is we, – we've talked about Montreal earlier today. Montreal in form for sure. But uh, Charlotte, he says he, he actually thinks at home Charlotte actually have the slight edge. Uh, he does say that he would do it on the draw no bet market, which means – he thinks there could be a tie, and he thinks if there is an edge, it'll probably go to Charlotte. Um, but he says um, that's probably the safest play there. He likes Charlotte at home. <clears throat> Another one that he likes is the New York Red Bulls um, to actually lose in Philadelphia. New York has been phenomenal on the road so far this season. He likes Philadelphia, who who do have the eighth best home record in the league, and they're 22% better at home than they are away. Um, and he says, again, draw no bet on Philadelphia. So that means, again, he likes Philadelphia as the slight favorite in that one. Um, and then he says, for defensive stacks, Rail Salt Lake are 42% better defensively at home. They play Austin next week. And Colorado are 83% better defensively at home. They're facing LAFC. So that's an interesting one. I don't, I don't know if I would have looked for Colorado defenders against LAFC. But John says that... Uh, when they're at home, Colorado defenders, you got to play them. On the attacking side of things, he says the attacking stacks, or the best attacking stack should be Atlanta. Uh, he says they are 60% better at home. They play the Revolution at home, and obviously they broke out of their slump like we talked about a little bit earlier today. Broke out of their slump a little bit against Chicago. So hopefully Atlanta can uh, can keep the momentum going and, and run it back. But that is this week's stat pack presented by Predictology. One last thing here before we wrap up. We would be remiss here if we did not congratulate the Seattle Sounders and their incredible achievement of winning the CONCACAF Champions League. Some of the MLS teams have come close, but no MLS team has ever won the CONCACAF Champions League. The last team not from Mexico to win this tournament was Saprissa from Costa Rica back in 2004. So it has been a long, long time that Mexico has had a stranglehold on this um, competition. And it's really, really interesting to see the MLS making strides to now compete with Mexico. And we'll see the League's Cup next year, which will be, you know, most of the teams from MLS against most of the teams from Mexico. It'll be one huge tournament, which will be really, really interesting. And it'll be something that, honestly, we need to keep our eyes on and see if Sorare is going to cover it. Because if they don't cover it, there'll be a month where we can't use our MLS players over the summer, which would be kind of a weird... You know, price. You know, their prices would obviously drop, but how much would they drop uh, if that were the case? So definitely something to keep an eye on there. Um, but just signs of progress for for winning the Champions League, and it's big for the league as a whole from a credibility standpoint. Um, and Nashi, I just want to kind of pose this to you really quickly. What do you think this means for you know the credibility of the league, being able to get into the Club World Cup and play against whoever wins the Liverpool Real Madrid? Champions League, you know, get to play one of the whoever wins uh, South America, Copa Libertadores, I believe. Um, you know, it's a big deal to get on the field in a competitive match with these huge teams and see what you can really do. What do you think that kind of means for the for the league from a credibility standpoint? Yeah, I think well, I think what it does is it's kind of like what we've been saying. It's just a uh, manifestation of the growth of the MLS of the quality. It's small, it's incremental, but year on year if they can build on this and you get an mls team start to win and then maybe in 10 years time you're dominating the ccl and every year you're seeing both european and american fans are watching this game seeing being exposed to the play and the quality getting closer to the european standard that's only gonna sort of keep that snowball keep the momentum of 
both the reputation of the league and also the, the quality too. Um, I can't speak on how important this is for the clubs, but it seems like the way they prioritise their lineups for their resting players in the MLS, that this was a big deal for the MLS organisations themselves. And off the back of that, you can kind of infer that they believe that it's going to leapfrog them and their organisation up in sort of standings, both domestically and probably around the world. I did want to touch on the thing that was interesting from uh, the Seattle game was uh, the coach, Brian Schmetzer. And he from, he kind of comes across as almost like a bit of an Alex Ferguson figure um, in Seattle. He's been there a long time. He's taken this down. Does, does that is he got a legacy there? Do you think in the he's going to be there for for a while? Or do you think that's kind of like a pinnacle in him? And we might see some changes in Seattle, which will obviously trickle down onto the so rare um, performances too. If you lose a sort of figurehead like that, I mean, you you'd think he's got a spot as long as he wants it. It'll be interesting to see kind of what direction they would go next. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he has been so consistent in a league that is built to make it very hard to be consistent, right? When your players are good, it is hard to pay them less money than they're worth so that you still fit under the salary cap. It is hard to convince guys, Jordan Morris, not to go to Europe and continue to play. It's hard to convince Nico Ladero to stay there for five years. You really have to applaud the culture that he's built there. And to be fair, it started, their first coach was Ziggy Schmidt. And you could have said the same thing about him. You know, he had the same kind of culture going. He had the same standards. They were always in the top 10, top 5 every year. And, uh, you know, Ziggy had one, I don't even know if it was a bad year. It might have just been like a bad six months. And things just kind of went downhill and he got replaced, that's kind of the sport, you know, I don't know, I mean, obviously, Brian Smetcher has been phenomenal, but if you don't continue to put in the work, things can go downhill very, very quickly, and it'll be interesting, because Seattle is a very old team, can they actually replace Nico Ladero, can they replace Raul Ruiz Diaz, you know, can they replace, even Jordan Morris is, is starting to get up there a little bit, he's 28 with a couple of knee surgeries, so, yeah, I mean, it'll yeah, be def- interesting to see if they if they can continue this after this current group of players has moved on because that's really, over the last five, six years, they've had the same group of players for the most part as the big contributors there. And even Stefan Fries is getting up there in age. So I think that's a – yes, he'll, he'll be there. I mean, there, obviously there's no doubt that he'll be there short term. Um, but the question is, can they actually turn it over and, and keep the culture going long term? Yeah, I guess my question was kind of loaded behind the idea that we've spoke about before, where like one player makes such an exponential difference in the MLS versus some other leagues. And like kind of it seems potentially the coach can do the same thing. And like, I wonder if down the line where... Like you said, because the league's set up for sort of parity, and I've learned that over the last couple of years, where they you're going to see pretty close levels of competition in general over the course of the season upon season. So can coaches like this, who's, you know, he's, Brian Schmetz has proven he's kept that organization doing well. Is he the X factor there? And like what I'd say then is like looking to other teams, can they look at that and think, if we can get a good coach who's stable and build behind him, can he almost be 
as important as like a star player or even more so over the long run. It's kind of interesting comparing that idea. So obviously that applies in other leagues too, but you still need the players, you know. But when yeah. the player pool generally kind of on an even kill, maybe a coach can be the X factor in the MLS. And that was kind of where I was coming from with that um, as, a, as a thought process kind of thing. Well, but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, a coach can absolutely be an X factor. Um, I mean, you look at Philadelphia, there's no other explanation other than Jim Curtin. It's just a fen- phenomenal coach. Um, but you also would say the same thing about Peter Vermees in Sporting Kansas City. He's a phenomenal coach. He gets guys like Busio going you know, to, to Italy. He gets the most out of guys that are maybe not world-class, but he gets them to play together, and he gets the most out of them. But you can see, you know, you have a couple of injuries to DPs in this league, and even the best coaches, like, it can be tough to compete. And, you know, he's, for me, has been there forever. So that's the only reason I think he's not on the hot seat right now. And even he may even be on the hot seat. I don't, I don't know the internal politics there. But, I mean, it's a tough league. Like, you have a couple of injuries, a couple of guys go down, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you were first or second in the West last year, and now you're, like no one really has any expectation that they'll make the playoffs this year. So, I mean, it, things change in a hurry and, and that's in, you know, football in general, but uh, especially here with the, with the way that the salary cap is, is kind of designed and, and the rosters are built. Um, do you have any, any other last minute thoughts on that one, Hayden? Yeah, I, I think you guys, you're, you're right about the sort of influence of the coach. I think a, a lot of it is kind of the guys behind the coach. The reason you see sort of Bob Bradley, right bruce arena you know this ability to kind of streamline the whole top to bottom approach of kind of what it takes in this league it's a very specific demand yeah i think that's a really good point um that you know these guys kind of all bring their staffs with them and they have it's not just the one coach that that is making the big difference um but i think yeah it's it's really interesting to, to kind of analyze how well you know, coaching plays a, a pretty big uh, role in, in everything. But, I mean, even in Seattle, too, give them give them credit. They've got some pretty fantastic players that they've been able to hold on to. So give the GM and, and the guys that do the, the contracts and everything, give them some credit, too. Um, and, and just one more question really quickly here before we wrap up for Hayden. From your perspective as a Dallas fan, does this – are you happy? You know, are, do you root for Seattle to win this? Or is this like, you know – my enemy is my enemy and I don't ever want to root for them. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I would ever admit to rooting for Seattle, but, and in general, my thought is, you know, the, it's more of a reflection of the changes that we're already seeing than it is kind of, you know, just this one moment, but you know, things are, things are changing. There's a different feel around the league. I think we're all enjoying the ride. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate the time from you, Hayden. Thank you for jumping on the, uh, on the show do you have anything that you want to plug do you have a twitter or, or anything that you want people to follow if they have any questions for you about about more dallas players yeah i mean that's it reach out to me on twitter uh at bachman s-u-f-c bachman s-u-s-c so it's b-a-c-h-s-u-f-c s-u-f-c Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't Indeed. even get it right, but we'll put a link in the show notes for everybody to uh, to be able to get to the right spot. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on. Uh, as always, have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Nashi. Cheers, Cheers.